is that there are veterans that are here with us right now. Can you please stand? Look at that. Wow. That is so cool. Thank you guys so much for, for your service. Uh, it, it's, it's because of you that we get to do this, that we get to worship our Savior publicly and freely uh, and amongst all the other many blessings that your service has provided for us. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and really on the behalf of Hope Community Church. It means the world to us. All right. Let's go before him in prayer. Lord, we approach your heavenly throne with a heart of gratitude. Grateful for, for the work that you've done on the cross, for, for the ways that you've worked in our lives that are too many to count. And Lord, this morning, in honor of Veterans Day, we do thank the veterans for fighting, for sacrificing, to give us the freedoms that we have. Lord, allow us to maintain that posture of gratitude. So as we move forward today in this service, don't allow it to just be an hour out of our week, but to truly be a time in the presence of the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, Jehovah Jireh. Lord, allow us to lean on you in a fresh way. Use me this morning. Use this message, these words that are on paper, allow them to be more than just that, but truly what you have to say to your people. And God, don't allow a soul to leave here without at least becoming more curious as to who you are. And Lord, we say collectively that we love you, we thank you, and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. So uh, if you've been with us, we're going through 1 Peter. This is going to be week two of our series. Uh, today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, calling it a marvelous life. And you'll see as time goes on why we're titling it that. But if you could turn with me, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. Good news, there are ESV Bibles in the back of your seat. That's what we're going to be using from here on out. What a blessing it is that uh, we had someone donate these Bibles so we could all be on literally the same page uh, as we go through our text. So 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12 will be our text for this morning. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. Um, I'm going to be starting off by reading verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, point number one for us this morning, God's word alone is enough. God's word alone is enough. Now remember the context. 
Peter's writing to those in exile. And what he is saying to those in exile is that if you have truly tasted that the Lord is good, there is nothing that can meet your spiritual needs like his word can. But what's interesting here is what, what, he tells, what he tells them to put away. So put away, he starts off this chapter. Put away. The Greek word here is apatet, grace, please, apatomenoi, apatomenoi. It means literally to get rid of or have nothing to do with it. There's been a few other key words that, that of what Peter is referring to. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Now, these all go hand in hand. The definition of, of malice is the desire to do evil. The desire to do evil. And the, de the definition of deceit means this. The action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. This is so important. Peter is writing to those in exile that they're to have nothing to do with these things. And it's not a passive way of, of him telling them to, to just ignore them until they go away. He's telling them to stand their ground no matter the consequences. Nero is coming. He has found so many believers up until the point of this letter being written, and he'll more than likely find some of those that are even about to read this letter. But no matter what comes your way, Peter is saying, do not lose your passion for God's word or your obedience and allegiance to him. Don't do it. Don't do it. But he then throws something interesting in here in verse 3. At the end of verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's writing that only those that have indeed trusted in Christ as their personal Savior are those that hate evil and crave truth. Friends, we are standing in the middle of a time in our culture when our culture is craving the things that the Lord hates, and we're falling apart because of it. But it doesn't just start with the culture. It starts with the church. I'd actually be bold enough to say that it's because the church is accepting and inclusive of ideologies that are not of God, and we're losing God's presence because of it. Peter writes that we need to crave the pure spiritual milk. Not this, not this processed, watered-down, clearance because it's about to expire type milk. But the purest milk that money could buy. For decades, we've been drinking cheap milk, and it's been hurting us more than we realize. We walk into churches with the, the coolest smoke mach machines and the, and the biggest televisions and the most dynamic preachers wearing the coolest shoes, and, and they tell us what we actually want to hear, but it's actually so far from the truth of the gospel. And then Christians, they go crawling to a church that, that preaches the truth of God's word and are then coming to the realization that this is what they wanted to hear the whole time. 
Can I get an amen? Some of us have experienced that. You see, any gospel that is centered on you is not the gospel, but rather a new age idea that pulls you away from the power of the cross and the death of Christ. The cross is not intended to make you feel good or even make you feel okay with your sin. It's to remind you of the sacrifice that was made for the sole purpose of giving God the glory. Feel-good sermons might make you walk out of a church feeling good, but they sure won't get you into eternity. And they won't keep you standing when the waves and trials of life come crashing in. We have fallen into the belief that, that God's presence is based on our feelings, and that is so far from the truth. We then begin to blame politicians for the world going so far to the wayside. But the, the, real, the reality of it is that corrupt politicians are a result of weak preachers that bend knee to them. You know, if you, if you read through the Old Testament, when you, see, when you see prophets heartbroken over the way that the culture is acting, or laws that are being passed, you know the first place they go? They go to the people of God. It's almost as if they were not blaming them for the way that the culture was acting, but rather stating that because the church was not standing its ground, the culture is going astray. How true is that for us today? We have allowed the government to tell us what to do, when to open and close our church doors, and what we can say from our pulpits. And I'm going to say that we have nobody to blame but ourselves. You see, if we continue to let this happen, where the government dictates who the church serves, we'll end up serving the government. Communist China is a perfect example of this. Cameras in their churches, police arresting pastors because they speak against the regime. Are we far off? You see, when you allow the people that are not of God to determine what God's people can and can't do, you no longer have a church. You have little more than a not-for-profit organization. Have nothing to do with deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, malice. And when you hear it, don't ignore it. Speak up. And point those that are conducting their lives in this matter to the truth of God's word. Why? Because God's word alone is enough. God's word alone is enough. Let's keep moving along. Verse 4. We'll go all the way to verse 3. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, lucky, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Lucky. You only get two. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Point number two for this morning, Christ is the foundation on which we stand. Christ is the foundation on which we stand. When we stand on any other foundation, we are bound to fall and we are bound to fail. I tell you that from experience. These false foundations, they can consist of preachers that stray from the truth. They can be the false claims that God is a way instead of the way. They can be allegiance to addictions such as money, sex, or pleasure. And from experience, I can assure you that you can stand on these for a short while, but they sure won't last, and you will fall hard. And when you fall, you either have the choice of getting up and trying again, or getting to your knees and turning to God who is waiting for you with arms wide open. But Peter makes it very clear that it is the word that will sustain you and sustain me. Now, verse 4 says this, rejected by men. Rejected by men. This is, this is going to happen. Persecution all around the world is going to continue to worsen. Our, our country will no longer, they might not longer have the freedoms that, that some of you that just stood in this room fought for. But, but Christ is saying that he is building us up. He is strengthening us. He is teaching us to trust him. And he's reminding us that no matter what comes our way, it is going to be so worth it from an eternal perspective. You're going to hear that throughout our, our journey in this series and in this letter. It's going to be so worth it. He's reminding us that no matter what comes our way, it's going to be worth it. He says they stumble because why? They disobey the word. They stumble because they disobey the word. You look outside of your window and scroll through your, your social media feed and you see that there's a lot of stumbling going on. I would even say that stumbling is probably a, a nice way to put it. Churches accepting of the woke culture and succumbing to the immoral laws that require them to marry those of the same gender forcing insecurity and convictions and really overall faith, loosening up on God-given doctrine. And we're just starting to see this in the news and, and in different churches where they're starting to affirm the faith and baptize those that are transgender, which then forces confusion over what really is truth. How about children being preyed on by the elites that they should have the right to choose their own gender? There's a lot of stumbling going on. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. Hear that one more time. The ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. You see, when you stray from the word, you stray from godly morals, the result becomes nothing but confusion. And chaos. But Peter wants to remind you that the church is not in the hands of the next generation. It's in the hands of God. 
My friends, when you base your life on the foundation that is Christ, you have not only purpose, but you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And before we move on, I want to ask you this. What foundation are you standing on? What foundation are you building? Because Christ is the foundation on which I can stand. Let's keep moving along. Verse 9 through 12. Verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's the gospel. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Point number three, godly living convicts the world of sin. Godly living convicts the world of sin. Peter puts so much emphasis on the very fact that though we are in the world, we are to stand out from it. The very life that we live is to convict the world of its wrongdoing. Dr. Erwin Lutzer says it like this, we must penetrate the culture without being contaminated by it. Keeping your conduct honorable doesn't mean that we are to bend knee to whatever law or mandate is thrown on us. You see, that's where the confusion lies. Keeping conduct means I know what my Savior has called me to do and how he has called me to live, and I'm not going against my convictions or my morals. Those that are not of God will hate this. We so often see it on the news. We watch as a generation of entitled people do nothing but yell, fight, and, and cause chaos when they're not affirmed for their lifestyle. That's why Christians are receiving so much hate. 2 Corinthians 2, 15, 16 says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God along those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, but to the other a fragrance from life to life. You know, there's been, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've, I've stood my ground for my faith and, and the other side instantly just begins to argue. And when you bring truth into the equation, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, there's no arguing, they just end up getting louder. And it's interesting because the louder that the group gets, the more that they start to realize that they're wrong and they're just showing their insecurity and their defense is simply to become more loud until the other side backs down. 
But as it's been said before, an empty barrel makes the loudest noise, but at the end of the day, it's still empty. Shame on the, shame on the media for, for leading a country and even the globe into believing that these few that are loud are speaking for the masses. When really it's, it's little more than a camera that's, that's shining on ten people with nobody behind them. But yet everyone falls into this lie that this is what everyone's thinking because the camera is on just a few. All of this is a result of insecurity from standing on lies that are of the devil. But Peter says, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have received great mercy because of the death and resurrection of Christ. You know that you stand on a foundation that can't be broken, can't be moved, and it can't be manipulated. You've been called out of darkness into what? A marvelous light. The light that you have been called to is not a light that only shines, but it is a person. You've been redeemed and removed from captivity and given a freedom that lasts not only in this life, but all the way into eternity. That light is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. He has called you out of darkness into a marvelous light to be a changed and a new person to Stand firm on him as your foundation. Represent him in a world that wants nothing to do with him. Why? Not to view him as an emergency God that you call when you need him, but to live your life like a lighthouse on the side of a sea. One that shines no matter the direction of the world. Because we, we, we not only are the salt of the earth providing the morals of the world, but we joyfully provide hope. That is found in nothing but Christ alone.